Welcome, everyone, to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how are you doing? Doing amazing, man. It's almost Christmas. I cannot wait to take a vacation. Yeah, you know, I've been thinking about this. Uh, it feels like Christmas time, so I'm ready to kind of just like sit on my couch and drink like hot cocoa for like eight days. But then I realize I'm not in college anymore, and that's not how the the, the adult world works, which is kind of sad. And now I'm going to be able to take some time off, so hopefully that doesn't affect the production of the show. I don't think it will. Hopefully, David can put the team on his back. <laughs> oh I think this episode will be coming out during that time frame when I'm on vacation. And this one was an absolute banger. It was a really fun one. We got Checkmate um, at underscore Checkmatey underscore on Twitter. Uh, really good guy. Has been doing a lot of great work researching researching these different crypto assets on a on-chain analytics level. And he is really into Decred. So we had a BTC, Decred, and Ethereum showdown. And I think that this is a really good show for people that are, you know, kind of familiar with all three assets to kind of compare and contrast. All three kind of have similar areas that they're functioning in and all three are very unique. Uh, so this was a really fun conversation. Yeah, uh, Checkmate actually, I think, was just a really good fit for POV at large. Uh, he really fit into the middle of, of me and Christian, kind of in the same way that Decred fits into the middle of Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh, and uh, the guy the guy knows how to cleverly argue his points. He's, he's obviously very smart, uh, and he's also obviously very nice. Uh, so it was a pleasure having him on the podcast and, and, and sparring with him. Uh, he brings up a lot of good points. And uh, I think this really shows, like again, why POV crypto is, is to me at least super valuable for my own understanding of the nuances and intricacies of the crypto ecosystem and all the different relevant chains. And Checkmate definitely helped me in that regard today. So uh, definitely honored to have him on the podcast and, and thanks for his time. And before we get to the show, let's give a quick shout out to our long-term sponsor, eToro. These guys have been supporting the show for over three months now, and they're going to be supporting us at least through Q1 of next year. Uh, so really appreciate eToro. They have done a lot for the crypto community at large, not only supporting content creators and memeing Bitcoin into relevancy across the world, but also eToro has been an absolutely fantastic way to get a hold of these digital currencies and to trade them, acquire them, get them in your savings account. Start stacking sats on eToro. eToro is one of the best places in the United States for you to essentially test out and try out any trading style or investing style that you want with one click of the mouse. They have these amazing copy trader features where you can just copy all the trades of professional traders uh, with just one click of the mouse. You can dollar cost average with just one click of the mouse. Or you can test out your own skills and trade on their platform. Again, they have all the major assets, the king, Bitcoin included. So check out eToro at b.tc, eToro POV, b.tc, eToro POV. Let's get on to the show. And without further ado, Checkmate. Checkmate. It's really exciting to have you on POV Crypto. We've been kind of going back and forth a lot on Twitter, and I really respect a lot of what you have to say and a lot of your writing in the space. So welcome to the show. How's it going? Thanks for that, mate. No, it's uh, really good to be here. And uh, you know, I've been following you boys for a long time, so it's good to, uh, to finally get in here and have a bit of a duel. 
Yeah, absolutely. So for those of you who don't know Checkmate, right now he's producing a lot of really amazing work um, pertaining especially to Decred, but also to the greater crypto space. We've been dueling a lot on Twitter, like I said, so figured it could be a really fun show to have a BTC versus ETH versus Decred type of a show. Personally, in my book, I consider them the three most legitimate assets in the space. Uh, so they're the only three that I really hold personally in different percentages. Uh, let's just get into it. For those who don't know you, what, what's your story? Yeah, so I'm, I'm a class of 2018. I'm pretty sure I bought my I bought Ethereum first uh, right at the peak uh, off the back of a mate's uh, suggestion, which, you know, I mean, it, it, what a learning curve to go through and understand how markets just completely wreck you when you're on the wrong side of it. So arguably to this point, I've only ever seen a bear market. But uh, what really kept me here, you know, everyone enters for the tech and the, uh, you know, the exciting, exciting projects and the promises of a better future. But what you really, uh, what really st- stuck with me is the macro side of this and just how big, uh, you know, the cryptocurrency change is going to be. Um, and, you know, the longer that I spent studying this thing, the originally, again, looking at all the technology, I thought Ethereum was pretty, pretty impressive. But over time, my, uh, my sensibilities kicked in and uh, I started venturing further down the, uh, the Bitcoin rabbit hole. And quite frankly, I've never quite left. Uh, and then it's been probably in the last six months that I've um, I, I really, you know, I really did start moving towards a, uh, a maximalist position. But um, I kind of stumbled across Decred. And, and what really interested me was the, the on-chain behavior of it. And, you know, I, I've got to tend to have a saying where if a, if a blockchain doesn't have a heartbeat, sell it. And Decred had one of those heartbeats I've just never seen in any other ledger. So between that and, uh, and Bitcoin, um, it's pretty much data analysis and, and trying to understand those heartbeats as best as I can. So a heartbeat is kind of a nebulous thing. How would you define Decred's heartbeat? Pretty interesting, actually. So the, the real difference, so with, with Bitcoin, you've got the on-chain transactions and you can, you know, there's heuristics and things that Coinmetrics and the like will use to decipher what transactions are, you know, just back and forward, what are exchanges, all that kind of thing. So all of that kind of gets wrapped up and you, you need to apply external heuristics to it. So there's the, you know, varying degrees of quality to that data. But when you look at the Decred chain, so with Bitcoin hodlers, you just hold it and that's it, all right? That's it, it's a long-term play. It, it sits in your wallet and that's where the coin day is destroyed and things like that really kick in where when, when co- old coins move, um, you know, the realized cap changes and all this kind of stuff. Where Decred differs is that when you're holding your coins are always moving because if you're committed to the long term and you're buying the, uh, the DCR tickets, which is that integral part of the proof of stake component and the on-chain governance element, the actual holding of coins is a participatory action. So the realized cap actually follows the market cap. It doesn't, it doesn't um, have these long plateaus like Bitcoin because coins are always moving. And you, could, you can see when you get these, these peaks and troughs and, um, these oscillations in the ticket price, uh, which is set by the protocol, um, based on supply and demand. So th- there's kind of a second, the, the proof of stake has a difficulty and a market for tickets. And because your coins are illiquid for, you know, average 28, but up to 142 days, um, every time someone buys a ticket, it's a very, very deliberate and specific action. So it's a very high signal uh, movement of coins in that regard. Checkmate, can you give the listeners a quick kind of 101 on Decred just so they can contextualize a little bit of what you're saying? Absolutely. Decred really kept the core fundamentals of what Bitcoin is. So it kept the the 21 million hard supply, um, the monetary policy of a deterministic schedule. 
So from a scarcity perspective, it really took the approach of store of value and don't fix what's not broken. Now, where it iterated on, on the Bitcoin model was specifically around three things. And that was the security model. So it layers in a proof of stake and weaves it over the top of proof of work. So it has a block reward that goes 60% miners, 30% to proof of stake. And it's not like a proof of stake where you, you, know, you put, put coins and they're, they're readily available. You have to actually purchase tickets. Um, which go for a particular price and the out and the the protocol will set that difficulty or the ticket price based on supply and demand targeting a 40,960 40, tickets. Now what that does, once you've actually got those tickets in the system, um, they're essentially locked to the chain and it binds your, your coins to the chain until they get pseudo randomly selected, which could be up to 142 days away. If you were an attacker in this instance, you would need to both capture the proof of stake element with having some share of tickets and some portion of the proof of work. And because it, it, you need um, the, the tickets basically valid, it's like a two-factor authentication on top of the proof of work. So you actually need to capture both parts. And if you opt to have a high proportion of the hash power, you need less tickets. And if you have a high proportion of the tickets, you need to have uh, less hash power. So there's a trade-off there depending on the attack vector. What that also gives is a layer of governance. So with these, these tickets in circulation, um, you then have a voice in on-chain consensus changes. You also have a vote in what to do with the uh, on the off-chain governance portal, Politea, which allows you to actually implement some kind of, um, uh, if someone puts a proposal forward for funding, um, the project can basically be self-sustaining and it avoids any capture by VCs or external interests because the entire protocol is self-funded and it's, it's, it's essentially driven by the stakeholders having a voice in the network. Um, and then the final instance is that treasury fund. So 10% of the block reward goes into the uh, the treasury fund and is basically at the uh, at the discretion of the, the stakeholders in the system. The biggest concern that I have over Decred as a, an investable asset is that it seems to always kind of live in Bitcoin shadow. And so it it's, Decred seems to be like it's it's a bet that... Bitcoin's lack of governance or its calcifiedness is not going to work long term, and Decred is it seems Decred as an asset seems to be banking on the fact that at some point Bitcoin will need to change something, and it won't be able to do that. Am, am I kind of right? Am I aligned with how you view Decred as an asset? Apart from the, think, I'm sure you don't think it's in Bitcoin shadow, but does that sound about fair to you? Um, I think the so what you're kind of getting at is it's it's a hedge, right? And yeah. and that's mm-hmm. that's a fairly common narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, now I guess where I'd kind of say that you know that assumes that it's a winner take all market. Now I, I've gone down the mental path of, of you know whether it would be a winner take all type market. Mm-hmm. And when I look at the way that Bitcoin, in particular the governance structure, where you do have this anarchic, difficult to coordinate type system. If we imagine that this thing, you know, let, let's imagine that Bitcoin goes to the, the nth degree and does in fact reach that, that ultimate level. I just can't believe that the whole world would be willing to wrap their entire financial stake up in a single asset. I just don't think that the world is willing to allocate the full monetary supply to something that, yes, the difficulty to change and the anarchic government is important, but it does have the contentious hard fork bug. And there is going to be a point in time when... Bitcoin will have to hard fork. There are going to be times because it's software and it has to upgrade. So to assume that Bitcoin got it absolutely dead perfect first time round, it, it's just not realistic. So what I do there. think, mm-hmm. yeah. So what I do think is that Decred provides 
it, again, it maintains the, the core monetary properties. So it's got that scarcity element. It's got the unforgeable costliness side. But where it differs is really where it matters. So it's not a Litecoin where it changed a couple of parameters. It differentiated on the uh, on the governance layer. So having a, it's not even, it, it is still difficult to change. You still need 95% miners, 75% quorum of stakeholders. So it's still hard to change and you still need to reach consensus. But the difference is that the, the method by which it happens and how people participate in that system is very, very clear. What it's for Bitcoin, it really isn't clear. And if we suspect this thing keeps going, money will flow between monetary assets because, you know, yes, they're not gold and silver where they're just atomic. These things are software. They're malleable. They change. They have different features and they have different functions. And to me, it makes sense, you know, some Pareto style distribution, but money having somewhere to go during periods of instability, just like we see with financial hedges all over the world. So if I summarize Decred's value prop in a sentence, could it accurately be summarized as Bitcoin, but with but more able to nimbly react to the world around it? Correct. And with a structured and uh, openly, transparently fair method for everybody who has a node and to actually participate. So I would definitely push back on that, uh, on that definition. I definitely think that the anarchic nature of Bitcoin enables it to push decision making out to the edges and you don't have to worry about this governance kind of coordination actually we'll think that the governance coordination will will eventually start holding decred back but we're going to get into a lot of these opinions later check me i would like to kind of get your take on eth decred and bitcoin currently as they kind of are operating in this uh this crypto universe um, and I think that would be a good place for us to kick off a debate. Sure. So, I mean, my position fundamentally, I'm not here to argue with the market. There's no question that Bitcoin is is top dog and it's top dog for a reason. Um, the liquidity and the network effects are, you know, undisputed champion here. Uh, it, and, you know, there's, there's any number of ways you can look at uh, where Bitcoin is going. But I agree with you that the the, the anarchic side of it, you know, the, the, the anonymous founder, that whole side of the equation, um, it will be impossible to replicate what Bitcoin has produced. Um, and it, it, you know, it really is on its path towards a, a global reserve asset. And really that's, that's kind of the end goal here. And I think through that, the store of value side is, is really where I think most of the value is going to accrue. And we're seeing the top assets all pivoting towards that point. Um, I think Decred provides a, a reliable and dependable and and transparent way to to hedge many parts of, of what Bitcoin is um, is faced with. So it, it is a political hedge in terms of the way that uh, Bitcoin's governance structure works, particularly when it comes in around hard forks. And you know, I, I would suggest that the the governance layer of Bitcoin is it's it's extremely opaque. And yes, there was the UASF movement at one point. I'm not convinced that you are going to be able to UASF out of every single circumstance. I think that has a limited timeline. And I think at that point in time, the formal governance structure will kick in. And even from just a, a monetary financial perspective, I find it very hard that it, when it comes time for that hard fork, that we're just going to expect that we're suddenly going to get the coordination right. If we assume Bitcoin gets to its end goal, there's going to be nation states on the end of all of those mining farms. And there's going to be nation state actors who are making those decisions. And they can't even agree when they're on the same side. So I have a very hard time believing, it, at least with a decred, you put that thing to a vote, right? That's it. It goes forward, right? It's decisive. 
whereas Bitcoin is extremely indecisive and it's an extremely inefficient system in that regard, which is, again, a strength in one regard. And Decred literally plays the other side of that court. So it, it kind of does balance. And I actually see Decred and, and Bitcoin as a yin-yang type scenario where if you look at the way that they interoperate, um, you could have a very, very sound uh, sound money protocol system between the two. And they actually do play off each other's strengths because they plug each other's weaknesses. Um, so for Ethereum, uh, nothing in my mental model has ever flip-flopped as much as I have on Ethereum. Just trying to get my head around, is everyone insane or what am I missing? I'm trying to, I'm still grappling with this, with this concept. Um, the, the issue that I have with Ethereum is fundamentally the tampering with the protocol. And I, I understand that it's, it's, it's a process of updates and Ethereum's trying to take on this, you know, it, it, it's constantly evolving and developing and scaling and so on and so forth. But I do feel like it's the, the perfect example of second system syndrome where it will never quite get there because everybody is constantly iterating, constantly researching. Oh, we found a new problem. We need to research and fix that. Oh, we found a new problem. It's just this constant cycle of tampering and tweaking. And I'm truly not convinced that the engineering challenge of rolling Ethereum 1 into 2 is achievable. Uh, and I think that once it does get there, this minimum viable issuance concept, somebody has to determine that that's actually, you know, working, which means somebody still has that monetary authority and someone will still be turning the dials to change the staking rates to get it just right. And this thing's just going to keep going. And Christian, I like your perspective. Where will Bitcoin be at that point in time? I just think there's, there's so much development going on uh, with Lightning Network and side chains and all these interop solutions. I just don't know if Ethereum's going to be able to keep up to be honest. I'd like to counter that same metaphor where, oh, we have this new problem. Now we have to research and innovate. I would say that that's generally how humans work. That's how our technology works. Uh, and so like take, for example, the car. We had the Model T. It had an engine and four wheels, a steering wheel and a drive shaft. And like we understood like lubrication and gears. Uh, and now we have like fly by wire we or drive by wire we have you know you know self driving cars carburetors got invented then they got replaced by something else because we researched that they are inefficient and so this constant like oh we have this new problem how can we research and innovate on it just sounds to me like normal innovation uh, and i would i would counter with the fact that i would actually prefer to be on the blockchain that is running into problems because they're the ones that are actually spearheading the problems for everyone else. And so everyone else is also going to run into these problems if they are trying to achieve the things that Ethereum is achieving. And so like maybe you say like, okay, I'm going to opt out of Ethereum because I don't think that you know, it's sustainable, whatever their research R&D phases is. Well, then you're just going to run into that problem on a different chain later. It's not like these problems are Ethereum specific. These are cryptographic blockchain problems. Ethereum's just the first one to run into them because of its lead. Yeah, I mean, and, and so first and foremost, I would totally agree that Ethereum is innovating. It's creating interesting tech, right? You can't argue that there's some extremely smart people working on the project. Um, there's lots of really, really quite fascinating code developments. Like it's, it, it is a remarkable experiment. My view is that the world computer narrative was the best narrative Ethereum ever had because it's, it's very good at that, right? It is very good at that. I don't even know if anyone knows what that actually is. The, the world computer. Exactly. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think the issue it stimulates the memory or the, the imagination. Yeah. The, I mean, like the, the world need, I think of Ethereum as a really big capture, right? It applies some kind of cost to actioning on the internet. It, it facilitates, you know, it facilitates some kind of cost to using and, and preventing spam. And what I've seen over time is Ethereum has pivoted from that mission closer to Bitcoin, closer again to Bitcoin. Now it's going for Ether's money. Now it's going for Ether's money with burn rates. Now it's, it's this constant movement back towards realizing that money is really where the value is at. And I can't help but feel that the, it's, I agree the innovation is important, but it's the tweaking of the monetary policy and the, the parameters around that. And the fact that not only that, but it's, it's extremely opaque who actually has that call and it's even more opaque as to whether it's going to just be in perpetuity. Someone will have the access to be tweaking those parameters. Whereas I much, much prefer the solution of Bitcoin and Decred where the core layer is fundamentally fixed. All right. Yes, there's, there's innovations and there's tweaks and there's developments and, and Bitcoin and Decred deal with their upgrades in their own way. But the fundamental monetary policy is fixed. And instead of scaling the base layer, and I mean, like the beacon chain is, it's, it's, there's no bloat, right? The idea is it just does consensus and settlement, which is exactly what the Decred and the Bitcoin ledgers do. Consensus and settlement, that's it. Everything else, you move up to higher stacks where you don't have the burden of consensus. Things like Lightning, things like sidechains, where you can innovate and experiment, but you don't need to be playing with the issuance rate and the security model. Yeah, so everyone criticizes Ethereum's monetary policy. And now we have started with the world computer and now we have, you know, programmable sound money. Uh, and it's, and no, one, no one's driving these narratives, right? Like we're kind of just discovering them. And then some people like me and Ryan Shot Adams and Eric Connor really, really push them forward. But first we discover them. Uh, and, but I would, I would contest that we're not tampering with economic with monetary policy we're tampering with security and as a result that changes economic policy but that's an important difference because what ethereum is doing with all of its change to economic to monetary policy is it's doing the same thing that we that we discussed earlier where it's trying to get ahead of the problem and so we're trying to research the best way to secure our blockchain and then that's why we're tampering with monetary policy uh, is because monetary policy is security. It does just sound like the central bank always trying to find equilibrium though, right? Mm. Keep turning the dials, keep, keep, sure. we'll, we'll get there. We're targeting 2% but it's not working. <laughs> okay. And at, at the same time, I think you can clearly look at the changes that are being implemented into Ethereum and they are all converging on stepping away from them at some point in time. And so ETH2 is an issuance algorithm that should be safe between a particular range of securities. And so if it's overly secure, we'll reduce issuance. If it's under secure, we'll increase issuance. And so long as, as the value of the network stays within certain bounds, we'll be okay. Um, and so it, it's setting up the difference between Ethereum and the central bank is, is all of the efforts behind uh, Ethereum security is setting it up so we can at it and forget it and that's what that's how i would that's that that's what i think most bitcoiners don't give ethereum credit for is all the changes that the researching side of ethereum is trying to do is is so we don't have to touch it anymore and that's not something that we see in, in the outside world with like you know the central bank or the government or whatever but i think the issue is that there's if you're an investor side where is the where is the certainty that that tampering is ever going to stop 
because you know throughout history we've we've you know every civilization who's ever had control over monetary policy has consistently kept dialing it no no you know we'll stop soon we're almost there we're almost at you know the, the correct target, but the, the tweaking never stops because the incentive is there to push the button. For them, for, for them, it is. For them, the incentive is there because the Federal Reserve is like, oh yeah, we'll stop printing money into the, our pockets and our friends' pockets at some point. But with Ethereum, that's not what's happening. Like It's just about the normal issuance of Ether going up or down. Like The developers aren't saying, hey, we're going to we'll figure out how to not have the dev fund later. There is no dev fund. And so it's it's not, there's the incentive behind the economic policy and who's changing the economic policy isn't there. Here's something interesting. I was listening to your Into the Ether 100 episode panel. Uh, David was on an all-star panel, including Vitalik and all the other uh, ETH thought leaders. But one of the topics was... The ETH vengers, if you will. One of the topics that they were talking about was, should the EF stake? And there was kind of mixed feelings there, but Vitalik chimed in saying, you know, what I kind of like is whatever the people put in, we'll put in the other half, like we'll match it. Right. So like he said, 10%, didn't he? He said 10%. All right. Double check me on that. But whatever, like regardless, they're throwing around an amazing amount of ETH. And we already know that if ETH 2.0 beacon chain does get launched or if it gets launched, that issue or issuance will be very high to or inflation will be uh, very nice to those early stakers so i mean just because you say that like oh you know they're not going to pad their pockets like we don't know that we don't know you know where their money is if anything crypto enables them to even more seamlessly pseudonymously you know start start a node here start a node there validate this what it what if the ef is a very big proportion of the initial the initial funds in e2 and they're getting an amazing amount of state or amazing amount of ether at the beginning. Uh, I, I don't think it's as clear as saying like they're super altruistic and it's going to work out fine. I think that's super naive. Checkmate. Let me hop in here and then I'll, and I'll give it back to you. Uh, because I think the the complaint that I have with both of your guys' positions is that it's totally ignoring the social contract behind both Ethereum and the EF. Uh, and so like the, you guys seem to have the opinion of like, okay, like what, what would be if, uh, the EF or the developers or the people behind the curtain had the worst incentives and they, or just not even, not even par incentives, just like generally negative incentives. Well, I mean, the reason why the researchers aren't going to act like the, uh, the central bank or the government or whatever is because of the social contract. And the reason why the EF isn't going to line its pockets and then cash out its members is because of the social contract. And so if you look at the behavior of the EF, which has been to reduce, 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 and also push out money into like Gitcoin grants and just spend a lot. Like I'm oh perfect, like judging the EF by its behavior, if that behavior continues, then we are a-okay. And the benefit of them staking is that they push out more money to teams, to developers that, that need it to, to work on Ethereum. And it's the same thing with with the uh, the researchers and, and developers behind like the economic policy of of Ethereum. Like, there's a social contract that they have to answer to, and that social contract has turned into minimal viable issuance, which is pretty good monetary policy, in my opinion. Isn't there a social contract between the people and their government? Like, I I, I just I don't think that social contract is something that you can live by for your your monetary policy. I would say if I was Hazu, I would say that the reason why there's only 21 million Bitcoins is because of a social contract, which I agree with. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree that there's, the social contract is actually what protects the um, the 21 million. I actually agree with that. Uh, I think that's 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 a real thing. Um, but I guess if we expect these things to be money, right, we're, we're not talking about 10, 15 years, right? There's going to be development going on through that whole time. Your position makes sense while we've got the current EF and, you know, they, they're, they're rolling out the new chain and they're supporting these developers and so forth. But let's push this thing 50 100 years right these these things are supposed to be nuclear systems that that you know try and push our civilization forward i just can't see how if you push this thing long enough and you have a, enough people cycle through who haven't gone through this phase this build phase where you actually develop that that social contract and you do, you develop the commitment to the chain and all that kind of thing um i can't see how eventually somebody's going to not get in there and start turning these dials because the dials are there to be turned and I'm not entirely convinced. That, I mean, the social contract to date for Ethereum has been fairly comfortable with it being changed. And I th- to be honest, I think that's a problem. I think that the fact the social contract hasn't actually reined it in yet is part of the issue. And I th- it just feels such a, it's such a fluid system. And I think when we, when we take a step back and say this is a competitive environment, these things are digital organisms and they're competing to live. And if you can't compete now, you're just going to get wiped out by Bitcoin. It's just going to happen. Checkmate. I, I like to think about like what would our opinions of Ethereum be if the social contract did rein it in a lot more. And in fact, maybe they even were committed to the ETH1 chain and just advancing that and making that the best chain possible. Like, Do you think that your opinion of Ethereum could be different if that was the... Uh, or stance of the Ethereum community? That's a really interesting question. And to be honest, yeah, probably. And I, I think, you know, I, I'm not in the camp where I think Ethereum set out to scam people. I don't think that's the original intent. I think the way that they went about it, there's, there's, there's issues. And, you know, this is a kind of an incremental historical um, process that's developed. Um, had they actually start reining things in and actually start locking down some kind of, I mean, I'm still not convinced with the proof of stake and permanent issuance thing. I'm still not convinced that's that's got, the merits that it needs. I think that the fixed supply uh, has, it's just an easier thing for people to grasp onto for a digital asset. Um, I think if they did rein in the monetary policy, then there would certainly, I mean, there's an issue with the consensus layer then, but um, it would certainly make me rethink at least as an innovative platform, trying to build interesting tech. But I think that there's, my, my issue with Ethereum really is, the value accrual to the ETH token, I just don't see it yet. Um, I think there's a lot of reliance on things like third-party dApps as well. So, um, you know, Make is really the centerpiece of the whole thing. And, you know, we saw today that, you know, another $27 million worth of Maker has been sold to a VC. You've now got two VCs who could just veto any, any um, governance proposal. And I can't help but feel that if Maker got wiped out, Ethereum would have a very, very long and challenging path to getting back on its feet because it then resorts to permission stable coins and, uh, and all this, there's a very large reliance on, you know, decentralized, but not really custodian type smart contracts that can be shut down that do have back doors. And if they got wiped out, then the value accrual to ETH goes down again, the security drops. And then it, there's so much risk and uncertainty. I'm not sure ETH is going to get the monetary premium whilst also competing in the landscape. I think that's where my, my gut feel is that because of all the tampering and the history and everything else, it's put it so far on the back foot 
plus it's about to reset its Lindy effect. Yeah, there's a long way to go. So I, I think I have found a way to figure out who's a Bitcoiner and who's an Ethereum before you actually ask them the question. And I released an article today called The Two Faces of Ethereum uh, that kind of illustrates the spectrum. Uh, and it's if you saw the cover of the article, you would see the image. And on one side, there is a human face. And on the other side, there's a robot face. And so it talks about the spectrum of uh, Ethereum applications that have a totally human-controlled system, like my company, Realty, centralized token issuance, we can burn your tokens, and then a fully computerized system like Uniswap, where there is no backdoor and there is no human at the steering wheel, and it's it's entirely a a robot application. And then there's this entire spectrum between these two things. And if you ask somebody like, okay, where is it acceptable to build applications? And if they say only on the computer side of the spectrum, and not even like 97% computer, 3% human, but 100% computer, well, then they're a Bitcoiner, probably. And if you can say like, okay, like you can allow some human input up to all the way human input, then you're probably an Ethereum because we have this vast spectrum for you to do things. And I don't think we've discovered where the optimal place on this spectrum actually is to build on. And so if you were to say that we should only build computer applications, we wouldn't have like 95% of the things on Ethereum that make Ethereum valuable which is kind of what you are saying you're, you're concerned about because Maker has, you know, Maker's a protocol. And so you can go to MakerDAO and you can make your DAI and have your CDP and you can do that without any computer input. But for the governance of the system, like that does take human input. And so like the, thes- the Bitcoin, your thesis is like that the human side of Ethereum, whether that's like 3% human to 100% human is not worth much. Uh, that makes you a Bitcoiner. Um, but I think that the human side of Ethereum is definitely worth experimenting with. And we haven't really seen to what degree can humans be involved in these, in these crypto economic systems and them still be, you know, censorship resistant, hardy, anti-fragile, et cetera. So, yeah, it's an interesting idea. And, you know, and that's, I think what draws me to Decred because it's also testing a whole new boundary of that. Um, you know, having looked at the governance space, you know, fairly, you know, fairly soundly by now, I do think it has the most advanced layering of that. And it, it really actually, I mean, you know, projects like Dash have tried to do this on-chain governance system, but the, the issue is that the master nodes are probably controlled by the, the main devs and the 45-45 block split means that there's no dilution. So even things like Decred's dilution of stakeholders out of the system so you have to keep investing if you want to keep keep having a say you got to keep putting capital in right you can't just sit there and and, and it, this is also the issue with proof of stake that is my favorite thing about decred by the way i think it really has the alignment between proof of work and proof of stake down it's it's a really elegant system and you, the more you dig into it the more you know even just the pseudo random ticket selection and now integrating the privacy with tickets and the whole thing is just it's so elegant the foresight is like nothing i've ever seen and i, I think that's also something where I'm, I'm i understand that ethereum's doing the iteration but it feels like the foresight wasn't there from the start which is why we're in this perpetual cycle of of, of updating and then when i look at a design like decred uh, it's it, it's just so many years ahead in terms of what it built from day one that I think that's that's important. But it is really testing the boundaries of of having that human side of it, and it it is the yin to the yang of, of Bitcoin's anarchic governance, where really you know Bitcoin is that that um, hardcore thing that just does what it does and its its, it's strength is not changing. 
but Decred benefits from the slipstream of that because it can, you know, the architectures are similar. It can pull, um, pull designs from Bitcoin. It can iterate them faster. And it has the two-factor authentication of stakeholders who can actually implement these. I mean, having the, the privacy system that um, Decred's just implemented, Bitcoin is years away from having something even remotely similar to that. And in the first three months of Decred's um, privacy implementation, it's already mixed 20% of the entire supply. And by all metrics, it's something like 300 times the entire Bitcoin anonymity set. And even with the tickets, because the tickets are pseudo-randomly selected, the whole protocol is constantly mixing itself. So you eliminate all of these issues with UTXO management coming out the end of a Wasabi thing. And, you know, all these different elements allow the human side to integrate and have a decision while still maintaining the Bitcoin-esque monetary policy and hardcore strength from that front. We've been spending some time dumping on or dunking on Ethereum a little bit. You definitely are not, you know, blindly bullish for Bitcoin. What's kind of like your negative takes or bearish takes on Bitcoin? So I wouldn't necessarily call them bearish takes. I would say that I'm I'm looking for, you know, centralization uh, is security holes, right? I'm looking for that adversarial side of if I am going to put capital into this thing, this you know, this new technology, where are the risk vectors? And, you know, I hear a lot. Of, I think the thing that really um, gets me looking is when I see a lot of what I would call dogma in the Bitcoin space. Um, lots of ideas that may not necessarily be founded in anything other than rhetoric and memes. When there's, you know, talking about things like um, Bitcoin can't coordinate. Well, when there's a CVE patch that needs to go out, you know, it requires a soft fork. Um, most uh, Bitcoin core uh, disclosures will indicate between 24 and 48 hours where the soft fork was rolled out to the nodes that matter, the economic nodes and the mining nodes, and your node knows nothing about it. So you, you and your node actually had no say in that whole, whole system. Now, if you think about that from a hard fork perspective, the, the, the fork that wins is the fork with the hash power. And if the developers can coordinate with the miners to roll out a critical vulnerability patch to the nodes that matter, the ones with hash behind them and the economic nodes that allow you to spend your bitcoins. What, why could you not roll out a hard fork in the exact same manner and just fork your node off the network? We just saw Ethereum fork 50% of their nodes off the network. So it's completely possible. So saying that Bitcoin can't coordinate, I think is, is not true because it can coordinate. You just don't actually have a say in it. And UASF was a moment in time. And yes, it was a valuable experiment. And yes, it's definitely a valuable battle scar but I do not believe that that is going to work at every single forking situation. And I don't think that running a Raspberry Pi, which is trivial to spin up and therefore has a trivial voice because that's the reality of it. It does have a trivial voice because if you're not hashing and you're not receiving Bitcoins as an economic node and you're not a developer, your say is actually more limited than people like to uh, like to talk about. So I, I find this take to be a little bit interesting because while you can see there are coordination amongst specific community members, right? So developers and slush pool in regards to the most recent CVE bug that was caught, uh, de developers were alerted of it. They quickly collaborated with the developers in their network and then contacted one friendly mine, which was slush pool, and then sent out a patch. So you can see from this situation that there's two things happening, right? There was a CVE bug that enabled uh, inflation to occur in the protocol if it was exploited. That was 
put into the protocol, you know, not from the beginning, but as, as developers are merging in new code. So there's a spectrum of old to new nodes that are actually vulnerable to this bug. And there are old nodes that were not vulnerable to this bug. So Bitcoin as a whole had nodes that were validating the chain that you could point to as, okay, this is a, a, a real, this is the real Bitcoin node. This one is the one that did not have the inflation. Essentially, you know, these developers coordinate, they release code for, for people to update to. The only people that really need to update to them is the vulnerable ones. But now there are new nodes that have the patch, old nodes that have the patch, and then a pool of nodes that are still vulnerable. Um, and what you see is that Bitcoin over time has a massive spectrum of different node versions. And this creates anti-fragility because if the patch or if the vulnerability was exploited, there are true nodes that are old and have lending, have been on the network that could have detected it or ignored it. And we socially could see, hey, the, this is where the network was not exploited. Um, so I actually think that socially, you know, what you're describing you is being incorrect but again like the technology reinforces what you can do socially right if there is very if there's a lot of subjectivity amongst what the technology is doing then it's very hard to collaborate and to coordinate right but bitcoin is about having like this rock it's about having this network that's reinforced distributed geographically and you can point to as a source of truth so it does create this robustness by having this kind of anarchic version, right? If if decred, if decred had an issue similar to this, everyone would be on the same exact version. Everyone would have to coordinate and say, holy shit, we need to fix the version that we're on. But with Bitcoin, there's like this spectrum of different nodes and versions of Bitcoins that you can look to. And that, again, like different implementations, these different version uh, distributions create Lindy and it creates anti-fragility within the system. Does that like does that make sense? It does, but at the same time, right? So yes, um, Decred has uh, has that path, but it also has a mechanism to actually resolve it. If there is a situation that comes by, it has that mechanism ready to actually go. So it's able to react and implement the change that's needed in a reasonable time. Now, the other thing to keep in mind is yes, and and this again, what you just described, the anti fragility is important, and it's, it's again why Bitcoin holds such a commanding commanding lead. However. Soft forks do change consensus rules. Your node, if you don't upgrade it, is basically reduced down to an SBV level security. So it's only the nodes that are running the most up-to-date code who actually validate those blocks because an older node will still uh, say, yes, that transaction is fine, that block's fine, even if it's not. And what it has to do, it has to bounce up to a newer node, which then basically corrects that situation. And the other side to that, so not only, only do you have a network that, and you know, and this again, the dogma of you know, I don't need to upgrade just create security holes. There are attack vectors um, that come in uh, more at an individual level, but also affect the health of the network. The more nodes that are not on the latest software, the less um, secure the actual network is from a technical standpoint. But the other side of it is, is the developers, by only having soft fork capabilities, they actually have to make a lot of um, what's the word. They have to make a lot of sacrifices in, and, and constraints in order to support Windows XP in perpetuity, right? You actually introduce a, uh, a, a serious constraint on what can be done. 
And this is where Decred is really iterated by having a controlled hard fork. He can, in fact, hard fork whilst bringing the entire network with it. Um, and it's extremely costly to maintain an alternate Decred chain, um, extremely expensive to actually support that. Um, so therefore, the whole network is able to actually upgrade. And in the event that something needs to happen, it has the coordination mechanism and it has the rules clear as day um, that everybody knows how to to uh, um, implement that change. In Decred, let's assume that coordination amongst stakeholders becomes impossible. You cannot get them to get to the level that it takes to make a hard fork. It just complete deadlock, similar to how we see in like the U.S. House uh, and Senate and uh, political system. Does that completely take away Decred's advantage in terms of being able to implement these hard forks? And is Decred kind of like stuck in this single version implementation in perpetuity? Not at all. So there's, there's two layers to that. Um, the, the default for all ticket votes is abstain. So it's not yes or no. So it doesn't give any advantage to either side. So default is abstain. If you don't reach quorum, then it functions exactly like Bitcoin. You do not reach a consensus and that is the consensus, right? The consensus is don't change. So in that regard, it, you know, people say it's difficult. It's, it's, it's easier to change Decred. Well, there's, there's part of it that's a social contract, which is that we, we actually look to um, implement those changes when and where necessary. But it's not as if we just throw hard forks out there to, uh, you know, just appease uh, some kind of, of, of quota. They really are rare and discrete events that package up a whole lot of things that have also gone through iterations on the off-chain system. So, you know, the development process, because it's all funded, the stakeholders are on board for the whole journey, right? We have the initial votes where you, you start probing, you're saying, hey, um, I've got an idea to build this feature. What do you think? You get an initial idea. Next one is you go and get funding and you can actually push the, push the thing forward. And then eventually, if it does require a hard fork, it will get bundled in with a bunch of, of, um, of, of proper upgrades um, and the thing gets executed and the stakeholders are there for the, the entire progression. And if you don't like it, you sell your DCR and you walk away. These are all opt-in systems. So that, you know, that ticket system, it's a choice. And if you choose to lock up your decred, it's because you're choosing to have a voice. And that's why that extended period of, of illiquidity uh, that you're exposed to, whatever you choose to do with the chain, you're locking up your savings to do so. And therefore, you will feel the consequences of whatever the choice is. So it, it forces people to really do the research and understand what the changes are to make the best decision. Um, I, I would say that Decred holders are extremely informed about their chain. And I don't necessarily see that as much as I would like in Bitcoin, And you know, for whatever reason. But I'd like to see more fundamental understanding like I see in the Decred community. Interesting. So, I mean, one thing I think that you're pointing out to something that's a symptom of decred size and not necessarily decred's incentives. But I would like to, you know, kind of talk about a little bit about people in the decred community are extremely involved. Their stake in the system is going to enable them to keep doing the right thing. And I'm not even arguing that that's not true. I actually think that the decred model is, like you said, very elegant and beautiful. And it seems to, it seems to work. But at the same time, when I look at decred, I see it as like a monetary tool. It's, leaps and bounds behind Bitcoin, and it's actually leaps and bounds behind Ethereum. So if I'm kind of bearish on Ethereum catching up, and I know that Ethereum has a very different model, but you know, I just don't see any of these things actually catching up with Bitcoin in any meaningful way, unless there is something actually wrong with Bitcoin. 
I feel like a lot of it kind of counts on, hey, there's this thing wrong with Bitcoin. So therefore, these new things in my thing are going to enable my thing to catch up. And I just don't quite buy it yet. Like, I do think that there's going to be a Pareto distribution. I don't think it's going to be everyone goes to this thing. But you know, that Pareto distribution could include fiat. Like, there's a lot of institutions that can issue tokens, right? And that can be used as monies. So I, I just I'm not 100% sure that what Decred is building is is going to actually give it a real advantage if Bitcoin's completely fine. So I, I think if I could just touch on what Bitcoin's moats are, really. So I mean, Bitcoin's moat is obviously the, the, the reputation, liquidity, first mover advantage, you know, arguably Satoshi, right? That, that's kind of where its core value, I mean, the, the monetary policy is so well understood and you can replicate that, right? But that's really what differentiates Bitcoin. It's that global, it's that, you know, crypto reserve asset right now. So what we're really building here is immutable money, right? So first and foremost, security is, is number one. Um, so there's a paper that I, I recently published that talk about, and it actually goes into the detail of what Decred security mechanism is and actually um, quantifies it. And even though Decred is 750 or 800 times smaller than Bitcoin and 80 times smaller than Ethereum, like for like, right now at position 35, it currently competes in the top three. It is one of the top three most secure blockchains. And you know you, you can quantify the thing by looking at the way that how many you know what share of the ticket pool you have versus what share of the hash rate you have. So you know I basically modeled a whole series of likely scenarios, and it does compete meaningfully in the top three. Right? If you were had an all-in attack by you know all the voting pools turn against it, all the exchanges go hard and, and attack it, even with conservatism, it's still in the top ten. Right? Even though it's a, a uh, 30 position 35 or whatever it is do you know where it stacks up in like 24 hour or 30 day fees uh, so in terms of the fee market um there was recently a change that actually reduced the fees um so th- at the moment i mean like all other changes outside of bitcoin and ethereum the fee market is a long way from developing um and however what i will say is that when you map the usage of um decred to, to bitcoin and you you uh, model them on a like for like in terms of coin age how far through the issuance schedule they are. Decred actually competes extremely meaningfully and quite surprisingly is almost like for like with Bitcoin. The two compete on a per unit um, coins issued. So at 50% coins issued, the two networks are pretty much valued exactly the same. It had the same amount of active addresses. It has the same amount of transaction flows uh, moving through the ledger. The two projects are equally alive at the same age. And that's with all of the altcoin competition that Decred is facing, right? So yes, um, Bitcoin's always going to have the advantage. We, you know, we're not trying to replicate that thing. What it's trying to provide is that alternative system. You know, call it a hedge, but also call it a uh, you know a platinum to the gold, where you actually have some kind of alternate offering where it can iterate. It will have privacy that that meaningfully competes. Um, Lightning Network goes live in the short term. Um, which would put Decred and Bitcoin, I mean, let's ignore Litecoin on, uh, on, on Lightning Network. Those two chains will be interoperable with um, atomic swaps and Lightning Network and everything else. So between the two of them, you know, um, once you look at security, Decred competes meaningfully. And once Decred's, I think, 5% of Bitcoin's market cap, it will be the most secure chain. So you've got immutability. You've got the ability to actually hard fork in a controlled manner. What you're missing is liquidity. And when you look at liquidity of Decred now versus Bitcoin in 2012, they're competing meaningfully. 
So let's give Decred another seven years, right, to actually get to the same and also benefit from the slipstream of the infrastructure for Bitcoin, which is usually interoperable, right? Because the Decred developers built Bitcoin from the ground up using BTC Suite, uh, sorry, developed BTC Suite, which is also forked into LND. So when you actually look at the technical moats and the ability for Decred to hard fork, adapt, remain as a single chain, avoid hard forks, self-fund itself, there's no VC interests in this project. So the whole thing is self-sovereign and building something that, quite frankly, I think is probably the biggest uh, Chris Pernisky to- loves Decred. Yeah, you can't yes. say there's no VC interest. <laughs> no, yeah. Um, no, no, that's, that's fine, but they don't fund the project. The project funds that's itself, there. and that's different. And that differs to Blockstream because Blockstream is VC funded and the BTSC token as of late, which shitcoin, is hypocrisy at its finest because the reality is that that coin is an ICO. Right, and it's being—they've been shitting on Ethereum for a long time, and now you know security tokens, ICOs are all the rage at Blockstream, and this oh, is to appease yeah. the VC interest, right? So we can't ignore that side of this thing. So I want to address a couple things. Um, so the the most recent point, kind of about that, uh, Decred is going to be the most secure chain, and that Decred's security is something that is going to make it meaningfully competitive against Bitcoin as a money. This is an idea that Ryan, Ryan Sean Adams actually put against me as well. It's like, what if, what if Ethereum becomes the most secure chain? What if Bitcoin can't be the most secure chain? And I think that you, by, by focusing on one metric, like the security of the blockchain, you kind of miss the bigger picture, right? Um, if you zoom out, what people actually want is not you know, immutable money. What they want is the best money in the world. What they want is money that does everything they want, and that includes the liquidity factor. So just because some some ledger is theoretically equally or more secure if bitcoin security is completely immutable like does it even matter again like maybe it will i do think that there's going to be a distribution but i don't think that people are looking for like high powered immutable money like very very few people actually want that very specific thing and i think that what people actually want is the best money in the world and i think that Bitcoin is in position to just absolutely dominate that category. Um, it is. The second- if you look at these things as moats, right? Decred just takes, and it's always been an incremental project, right? Baby steps. It builds things piece by piece, time by time. And and where's Bitcoin going to be? Time. Sorry. No, I, I totally agree. <laughs> like, but Decred right, is, in, in seven years, is, where's Bitcoin going to be? No, but Decred is right in Bitcoin slipstream. So Decred is four years old. And it's already implemented Lightning Network, right? So it can it can move so much faster, and it has the mechanism to move faster. So let's just give this let's give Bitcoin another five years and Decred another five years. If you look at the rate of change, it's you know it's as I said, it's already got that privacy implementation that's that's mixing leagues more, um, and it's written by the guy who wrote Join Market. So you know the developer team that's on Decred is pushing this thing. Um, and, and their 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 dollar to output ratio is just unbelievable in this space. So yes, I agree. Bitcoin is on a you know immense journey forwards, but it's also constrained by the inability to hard fork, which is just a function of proof of work, right? It just is. Um, it, it it's kind of a function of that con- that consensus mechanism. Um, it does have to support Windows XP for the rest of its life, right? And that that is going to be a constraint. Um, and Decred has a similar architecture and a similar structure, but actually, you know, it's not a Litecoin. It actually competes on a alternate pathway 
with the governance, with the funding, with the hypersecurity, all that kind of thing. So I think it's one of those uh, entities that deserves to sit in a portfolio with Bitcoin. Um, I think the winner takes all scenario, we're talking, you know, 50 to 100 years in the future. So I think in the, in the term between now and then, there's a very, very serious um, competitive uh, landscape that's going to build out. And all of these coins, all of these organisms are competing for market share in that, in that space. The love triangle that is Decred, Bitcoin, and Ethereum. I feel like these three uh, projects kind of just exist in their own plane just because they all overlap to some degree and then also have their own differences. Uh, but the, the reason, and it's, it's interesting to me because like some of, the, some of the arguments that you're posing to Christian right now make, make, uh, make it sound like you are in my shoes usually and then you're making some of the arguments that I make about Ethereum and why Ethereum why it will might be successful versus Bitcoin. But Decred and, and Bitcoin are much closer together than, than Ethereum is. There's Decred and Bitcoin, and then there's Ethereum like way over there. And so I, I think, I, I want to know how you guys feel about like, there. it seems to be like the, the battle is between Bitcoin and Decred, and then Ethereum just has its own thing. It's like, I keep telling t- telling Christian and he keeps pushing back on me, but Bitcoin and Ethereum don't really compete. Like we're finding value in our token in a much different way than Bitcoin is. And I don't really see the Decred being any different with Ethereum in that regard. I would agree. I think where Ethereum struggles is that I'm not sure it's going to compete on the monetary premium. And personally, I think the move to Ether's money is a huge mistake because at the moment, I just don't think it's going to be able to compete as money i think it'll compete as a as a fun thing for the internet i don't think it's going to be able to compete with the monetary premium the fixed supply the deterministic schedule um you know going back to what christian said before if if the mm-hmm. monetary policy was fixed and we see and we, you develop some kind of lindy but you know eth 2.0 is what four years away before it's fully functioning phase two i mean that's a long Beautiful, time yeah. mm-hmm. that's a long time in this space and but no Ethereum's, one else is doing it well, Ethereum's compete, but this is the thing. What happens when people start to get apathetic and tired of the, the perpetual second system syndrome, right? They want things to be delivered. They want things to work. And at the moment, when you put forward what Lightning Network, side chains, and um, you know, Bitcoin decred of this base layer, which they will approach um, uh, finality, right? The layers above and the ecosystem that grows around it will compete with Ethereum. And I think a lot of Ethereans like to poke fingers at Lightning Network because it doesn't have the, you know, the lockup metric, but that's because the base layer right now works just fine. And mm-hmm. the use mechanism is different. Mm-hmm. Now, what I'm excited to see is the utilization of Decred's Lightning Network, which will be used as part of the ticket system, allows smaller, smaller stake participation. I think that the Lightning Network and Decred, same way as privacy, the usage metrics are going to blow Bitcoin away. And simply because it, it, it gets people lightning native from the get-go, because if you want to participate and the, you should, I mean, the, if you haven't tried the, uh, the Decred user interface on their wallets, their software, it's so well-designed that it makes it very easy. And that's one thing that Ethereum got right is it's easy to use, right? MetaMask and all this stuff. Decred picks that as well, right? It's got really good design, really clean wallets, really easy to understand. And Bitcoin, I mean, the wallets are horrendous, to be honest. The vast majority of wallets are just shocking. And they really that, that needs to fix. Pete McCormack's got a point. The UI UX is a serious problem in Bitcoin. And, you know, you look at all these things and you start to see 
maybe there is a bit of an echo chamber. Maybe people aren't taking this seriously. And the last moat to me is liquidity. And, you know, I'm not going to argue that Bitcoin doesn't have that. But let's give this thing some time because it's, you know, give it 10 years, give it 11 years. I always, it's funny. Every time we bring on a, a decred person, they're like, they're the Ethereum for the Bitcoiners. And then they're the Bitcoiner for the Ethereans. It's really funny. It's, it's amazing because uh, what I've found in Decred, uh, in the Decred community is we look at things from all angles and it almost mm-hmm. is because we're outside that limelight, right? Mm-hmm. So we look at the adversarial thinking of, of what's going on in Bitcoin. And the, the, the funny thing is there's a lot of Bitcoin maximalists who've got their secret bags of Decred, right? Because mm-hmm. they understand that the incentives are right, the blockchain mechanics are right. And the more I look into the data, to be honest, the thing that got me sucked in was, was the data studying the decred chain I, you know i originally thought oh you know it's it, it's an old coin it's not going too far i'm yet to find a piece of data that doesn't amaze me in terms of how sound and how um committed the hodlers of decred are they're they're hardcore they're the real deal because they true. lock themselves up for five months right this is true you can't leave um checkmate so i think i think we're kind of painting something about decred which is my main criticism and that is that Decred itself is just so coordinated that it can't possibly compete with Bitcoin. And, you know, Decred is an open source project. It's using open source incentives. It's using skin in the game. So I think all of those things are sound. I just, and, and again, I, this is a criticism towards Ethereum as well. Is like, I just think that this pure Antarctic, I'm, I'm, I'm like stumbling over my words, you know, just complete chaos of a system is is actually better. I, it actually pushes out decision making to the edges. And the thing is, you can criticize Bitcoin's wallets like, oh, Bitcoin has a lot of shitty wallets. But guess what? Bitcoin has a shitload of wallets and there are good ones, right? So like, you know, eight good Bitcoin wallets, one good Ethereum wallet. Bitcoin actually has more good wallets, right? Just because it's not the standard default one that comes from GitHub doesn't mean that Bitcoin doesn't have great wallets. Uh, another case in point, right? Ethereum, Ethereum is rebuilding its chain and people might get apathetic to it. What if all the scammers want to go do ICOs? Actually, there is liquid there. And, you know, maybe I think that ICOs are a bad investment and that Blockstream are hypocrites. Um, I'm personally uh, not a fan of Samson at all. But outside of that, like, that doesn't mean shit to Bitcoin. Blockstream is just a cog in the Bitcoin machine. There are many stakeholders in Bitcoin. We're seeing MIT labs. We're seeing um, private investors. Uh, there's a interview on uh, Nick Carter's podcast on the brink. Um, the investor's name was it John Pfeffer? Yeah, it's John Pfeffer. You know he he's great, investing. Great I mean, fantastic episode. He he essentially this is a private investor holds Bitcoin bags. He started Bitcoin Optech by enabling uh, developers to be paid full time to to essentially teach exchanges how to use the blockchain in the best possible way and to implement best practices like. This system, like I, I think the incentives are actually sound and they actually work. And unless there's something that's critically wrong with it, like I just don't think that the polished version, which is Decred, is actually going to beat it. Like I think that you can manipulate a lot of metrics to show something is is working better, but that doesn't actually mean that it's working better in the real world. Um, so yeah, no, I agree that the I, network like, effects I, I just, is very, like, I don't know. That's my basic position. And like, you no, can even talk fair. about like who, who's like all the stupid people on Bitcoin Twitter, right? There's just a lot of people on Bitcoin Twitter, right? Some of them are bound to be stupid. There's also a lot of really smart people that really get it. Like if you were to commit, compare the 
smart people that really get decred to the smart people that really get Bitcoin. Like there's way more that really get Bitcoin, right? But there's also a bunch of, you know, Bitcoin taco plebs that just have Bitcoin bags, but the incentives are clearly working. Bitcoin also has a shitcoin pitch, uh, 6.15 BTC. So like Bitcoin is just this monster that's absorbing. And I, I think that you can, you can get too stuck in this on-chain analytics and get distracted. Well, not quite because uh, look, I agree that the network effects are very real. And again, this, you know, I'm a Bitcoiner as well. I'm not going to argue with that. And that's, that's why it, it, it deserves the, the most meaningful part in the portfolio, right? You can't argue with that. That's, that's just the way it's panning out. What I don't believe is that we're going to have a winner take all in, you know, a meaningful timeline for me. Um, and I do think that in that meantime, there is going to be a consolidation to quality the projects that actually receive capital inflows are going to be the ones that meaningfully compete. And, you know, I think we're going to move towards that Pareto distribution, right? And there's an enormous amount of value that will be captured even at the, 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 the eight and the twos, right? In that Pareto, there's still a huge amount of value. And what, in terms of the on-chain metrics, I actually find the on-chain metrics are the highest signal that you can find um, I basically, I, I've ditched TA because I think that, that understanding the, the on-chain, listen to the heartbeat gives you just so much more information about what's going on. And because tickets are such high signal, when people are buying tickets and they're buying tickets and, you know, in, in even the most uh, adverse conditions, that is a high signal of when people are actually committing to this thing, right? So when you look at on-chain metrics, that is genuine usage right? I don't look at exchange because that's, that's all sorts of um, traders and emotions and speculation, all that kind of thing. On-chain metrics filters all of that out. And you're just listening to what the chain is doing, you know, um, real time. Is the chain alive? And from what I've seen, Bitcoin and Decred are alive. Um, I use Litecoin as a regular example to show something that isn't because it just looks like absolute garbage on chain, right? And it's it, it, it completely different personalities, um, but they each tell a different story. And as far as I'm aware, as far as my studies go, um, Decred is the most alive chain next to Bitcoin. But I'm not going to argue with Bitcoin's network effects and liquidity. It's the last moat that we cross. And, uh, you know, Bitcoin deserves probably spot one and it probably will hold that spot for a long time. But will it be able to fulfill all of the roles in a global society where we all have different choices and we all... You know, no one's going to converge on the one thing, all right? That's why we're going to have more than one because the whole, I don't think that the Austrian view of single money works in a completely internet native digital world where, you know, kids grow up with iPads and are more than happy to have skins, right? I, I think the world's going to be more fluid than that. And I think there's an immense amount of value to be captured without necessarily beating Bitcoin. I agree that there's not really ever going to be one currency, but I, I am still of the belief that there's only going to be one platform because that's efficient. And I don't think that it would be more efficient if all of these different currencies existed on one platform. So I, I look forward to both TBTC and TDCR coming to Ethereum and all you guys, all you guys' transfers paying, being paid to, to me staking my Ether. So that's going to be a fun future. Yeah, it depends when the upper layers on DCR and, and BTC compete with, uh, with Ethereum, the capture of the internet. The question is, even if that happens, David, does value actually accrue to the Ether token? Without lockup of 100%. DeFi, if it gets knocked out by regulators? Well, staking is Yeah, but if you're just DeFi, staking, so, right, yeah. you're just getting ETH for the sake of ETH, you need something mm-hmm. to do with that ETH mm-hmm. if... You can't do loans because right. it's against regulations. Yeah. How does that pan out? I don't think DeFi gives a fuck about regulations. It does. It's got a backdoor and a VC team behind it. 
it's pretty hard to build these things without the team. Yeah, uh, you should you should really read my article that I released today. It's about this oh, subject specifically. Actually, it came out like one hour before this podcast, so uh, I'll, read my I'll, let you, I'll give you time to read it. But the, the thesis the thesis is that things trend towards no backdoors. Yeah, I think. I, I, I kind of see that as second system syndrome again. It's they'll, they'll constantly be tweaking it. And the back doors will never get closed because there's always something to be fixing. If there d- does need to be a reason to close the back doors, then they will be so, closed. Uh, if the alternative is being arrested, then those doors will get shut. I have a quick question. Um, there's, I see a lot of talk come out of the Ethereum community that uh, is generally against on-chain governance. And yet mm-hmm. every project on Ethereum is currently rolling out a DAO. I don't quite understand that cognitive mismatch. Yeah, so no, that's a really important nuance. On-chain governance, Ethereum is against on-chain governance as it relates to Ethereum, the blockchain, and Ether, the asset. MakerDAO is, is on-chain governance, but it's not on-chain governance of the chain. And so that's the, that's the nuance. Ethereum is cool with all types of governance, except for governance of the blockchain itself formalized and so like MakerDAO can can be governed by mkr and if that doesn't work then maybe we'll find a way where it's ungovernable but like on-chain governance is fine so long as we're not talking about the actual blockchain it makes sense because i mean to, to implement something like that uh, like on-chain governance at the base layer and, th- and this is why i think again decred is a digital nation state because the mm-hmm. whole blockchain is the DAO, right it right. hasn't gone for a donation right. model that exactly. ethereum will always be subject to um, and there will always be those incentives you know, mm-hmm. Decred supports itself. Uh, it is that DAO, and it was built to be that way from from the get go. And if you don't, I, I agree that if you ha- you know on chain governance, I don't think you should move the Ethereum 2.0 chain to that because that's not what the system is built as. Um, right, right, yeah. So the the problem with on chain governance is that like if you like Realty, for example, if we if we were on Tezos, which for some reason Tezos thinks they're going to be the security token. Uh, chain and like I keep on telling like all the people in my Tezos Twitter feed like like yo I'm a the CEO of a company that issues tokenized securities I would never issue them on Tezos because that's on-chain governance and I don't want to give Tezos holders the governance over our real estate properties and so that and so the if, if you put on on-chain governance onto something like Ethereum you're yeah you give governance to all of the applications on ethereum to the ether holders and and those applications didn't didn't want those it's not what they signed up for it makes no sense i've always thought that that's that's a risk with platforms is the top heavy problem so decred and bitcoin they settle their native token right that is their transaction finality that's all they have to settle they just have to settle that mm-hmm. that value once you start building things like the like security tokens which i generally think will be a, a significant um, significant movement um, once you start building those, mm-hmm. your ledger becomes the security is even more important because it gets top heavy, right? It must secure all of the value because if somebody moves a stack of real estate tokens, for example, the value of that transaction mm-hmm. is higher. So the incentive to actually attack double spend intercept increases. Not necessarily though, because because we can undo transactions. We can we can from the centralized transactions, end. and so the security model. Yes, from the centralized end. Yeah. So security, and it's likely that security tokens, uh, at least for the foreseeable future, will all have to have that model. Um, because if the SEC comes knocking, we need to be able to do that. Uh, and so the security of specifically real, to- or real tokens or security tokens that um, have the burn and issue function 
like those don't actually impact the crypto economics of the base chain. Those those that that security model is our our private admin you know admin module that you know only I, I can access because of my IP address and my two factor authentication and my password. Like that's the security model for real for security tokens. The old model. So what are your thoughts on security token specific chains? Like there's things like Onera, which I'm not sure if you're aware of, which is basically underwritten. But I mean, the thing, if it's centralized by design, right? And, and, and you know, you, your, your system is obviously centralized mm-hmm. in that regard, which is the right way it's going to be. It's always going to be that way. Mm-hmm. Um, why doesn't right. it make sense for the whole, mm-hmm. the whole blockchain to be international, use something like Hyperledger, but still be, um, you know, centralized, but underwritten by people who can actually verify and attest that the asset is underlain by the asset. Mm-hmm. Uh, my opinion is that because Realty's uh, competitive edge is that we integrate with DeFi, and I don't think a security token only chain will have any sort of DeFi on it. And so, like, if you want to put real estate inside of MakerDAO, well, you're going to need security tokens inside of Ethereum. It just seems really variable having so many security tokens in Maker. I don't know how the governance system could ever deal with that much variability. Oh, that's a Maker. Yeah, issue. but that's a big risk for the the whole ecosystem, right? To just expect that the governance system will be able to deal with mm-hmm. that much risk and and variables. Not necessarily because it's easy to cut risk off at the knees because of uh, of a uh, issuance maximum. So, like if there's security token A, then MakerDAO can limit that uh, that there's can be no more than ten thousand or one million die issued on the backing of this particular security token. So you can you can cut risk off at, at your particular threshold. I think what Checkmate is pointing out is like the intertwining of assets on Ethereum and how if one of these DAOs, MakerDAO, for example, has, you know, such a massive amount of Ethereum and other tokens in it um, that that turns into kind of like a house of cards scenario. Um, With that being said, to me, it kind of, it makes sense to have the model that at least Ethereum kind of has right now where, um, you know, essentially people are building on public infrastructure. That's what I like about Ethereum, actually, because you can definitely see people building on public infrastructure. And I think that public open source infrastructure is like what you really need. Like that is the future. And that's why I think again, Bitcoin is going to win because it's, it's the best public infrastructure. So proof of like some security token chain makes absolutely no sense to me at all. Like, in fact, like why do you even need a chain? Like the whole point of a chain is to create like, like this public monetary infrastructure. Ultimately, I think that Ethereum is a bad, is bad infrastructure Uh, And therefore it won't compete as like a money and ultimately will lose to good infrastructure. But, and the reality is any centralized system can, can shift between their their chain agnostic most of the time, right? They're not, they're not concerned about that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Tether Tether doesn't do anything for Ethereum. Uh, uh, Strangely enough, I think that hosting stable coins is one of Ethereum's strongest uh, bull cases, to be honest. I think if if it just became a a host for these parasitic uh, stable coins, ultimately, the stable coins don't really accrue long-term value to ETH because they can easily, you know, shift all their balances to a different blockchain. Yeah, yeah, that's Especially right. Especially Tether as really just being used as an exchange thing. Super easy to coordinate. Yeah, agree. All right, so, checkmate. I think this is a good time to uh, to start signing out. Hopefully, David can get off this call soon. But uh, yeah, this is this is a fun conversation. I think a, a lot of debate all around. So everything I could have asked for. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed it and. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Hope we can do it at some point later. But, uh, you know, I, I think there's, I kind of agree that they're, they're, these are the three projects that, you know, have any legs. I'm still not convinced about the Ethereum side of things. Um, 
but I do think that there's a lot of money, uh, a lot of money and a lot of uh, value to be captured by a store of value. And I do think that store value assets are where the attention needs to be right now. And in my eyes, Bitcoin and Decred are the two that, that, that stand proud in that mix. Who do you want to hear from and where can people find you? Yeah, so anybody that really wants to understand more about the uh, the Decred Ledger uh, or, or Bitcoin for that matter, I, I spend probably equal time studying both. Um, anything to do with on-chain metrics, if you've got questions and want to learn more, uh, I try to roll out once a quarter uh, a masterclass looking at different uh, on-chain metrics. Um, so you can follow me at Twitter at, at CheckMatey and uh, at uh, Ready Set Crypto where I do a, a newsletter and, and write for the community there. Awesome. Not sure if David's going to be able to make it back, so I'll just sign off for both of us. You can find the show at POV Crypto Pod. You can find me at CK underscore Snarks. You can find David on Twitter and on Medium at Trustless State. Make sure to rate the show five-star reviews only. We don't accept four-star reviews. Make sure to follow Checkmatey. He is the man. I have a great time uh, messing messing around on Twitter and just uh, getting in little debates similar to this show, but all the time going live on Twitter. So follow him, follow everyone, and subscribe. Will you just see?